Last week I talked about God's faithfulness, talked about uh, how Scripture reminds us not to fear, um, talked about how God calls us to lean into faithfulness, um, we talked about several things um, about a just a kingdom perspective. And so I just want to jump in today about how to, how to have God's peace in a scenario like what we're experiencing. Um, it's pretty obvious that the world is unsettled. Um, again, God calls us in the midst of the world being unsettled. Uh, he calls us to not fear. It's a really challenging scenario. Matthew 24 says this. It's really interesting. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Just talking about the future that disciples would live in. And he said, but see to it that you are not alarmed. That's a really powerful phrase. See to it that you're not alarmed. There's something about being in Christ that can change the atmosphere that we live in. The whole atmosphere around us can be pandemonium, but what we live in can be different. John 16, he said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. So this is not new. What we're going through is not new. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And so how do you do that? How do you live in a place where you're not in fear? Um, how do you live in a place where you are at peace? And again, I talked about what it looks like to not fear last week, so go ahead and check that out. But Psalm 91.4.6 says, He will cover us with His feathers. Um, under His wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that strikes, or sorry, stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that, it, that destroys at midday. So God has spoken already about the scenarios that we, we live in, but we seem to think, you know, everybody is surprised by what's going on in, in the world that we live in. Uh, but God's not surprised, and neither should we be. But here's the question, how are we to be at peace? And that's what I want to kind of tackle this week. So I want to start reading in Ephesians 2. We, we were doing a series on Ephesians when everything happened, and so just kind of leaning back into that a little bit. This is Ephesians 2, 11 through 14. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard first, um, and then read it in, in a uh, uh, paraphrase translation. Uh, but let me just start verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This is the New Living Translation of the same Scriptures. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. It's really important. We're going to talk about that in just a second. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. It's fascinating. Verse 12 says, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises of God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Verse 13 says, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. In verse 14, For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in His own body on the cross He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So what does this have to do with the scenario that we're living in right now? 
Um, this passage in the original uh, language, it's really fascinating how, how it brings out this alienation, this sense of there was a separation between the, b- between the Jews and the Greeks, or sorry, the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, that's anything other than a Jew, then you, you weren't just, it wasn't just about the fact that you were uh, different, you were excluded in every way. You, and the Jews looked down on them in such a huge way. Even in modern times, we find ourselves separated, alienated by all kinds of things. Race, religion, gender, economic status, politics. You see that all the time. And in this season, social distance. It feels, it feels like we're isolated. It feels like we're separated. And the enemy's plan is just that. To separate, to alienate, to isolate, to keep you away from God and from, and from being in, in, in His family. Um, he's about anything but unity. And part of the reason why is because the Bible speaks of unity. It's when brothers dwell together in unity, there's a blessing that's commanded upon God's people. It's not just any unity, but it's got to be unity in God. So this, this outbreak, we've seen um, moments of unity. Um, we saw politics, especially here in the U.S., where, where different factions were trying to come together in some ways. Um, but it was only moments of unity. As soon as everybody came together on the heels of the temporary unity, um, you find often animosity and blame that come right after. Um, and in that moment, there's no more peace. Uh, the Democrats are to blame, the Republicans, China, Trump, and on and on it goes. There's no peace. In the time this passage was written, the greatest, greatest alienation that, that, that these guys found themselves in was, was through race. There was, again, this disparity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, the cause of alienation, of course, in all of this, the cause of separation, whether it's ancient or modern times, is sin. Sin is the great divider. Jesus is the great uniter. So let me read Ephesians 2.11. It says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So the Jews used this word, uncircumcised, as a derogatory slur uh, regarding the Gentiles. If you remember when David was facing the, uh, the giant, um, uh, Goliath, he called out to him and he said, you uncircumcised Philistine. And that was, the most, that was the hardest insult he could throw at him. It was the worst thing he could say to Goliath. You uncircumcised Philistine. Um, and the Jews would say things like, there was a phrase that they would say uh, back in this time, that the only reason that Gentiles were created we're to provide fuel for the fires of hell. Now, if that's not separation, if that's not, I'm better than you, and, 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 and to make it as far as possible, it's not just I'm a little better. Like, you have zero value at all. And so they were excluded. Um, but it was interesting, the Scripture says this wasn't a circumcision that was in the Spirit. It was a circumcision of the flesh. So what does that mean? I mean, how do you, how do you even understand that? And so what it was talking about was there was a rite or a ritual that the Jews were known for. There was something on the outside that they did that they took pride in that the Gentiles didn't have. Um, it was differentiating, and Paul went after this, it was differentiating between the flesh and the spirit, and he was trying to make a point about this. And so in this passage, in verse 12, he talks about this alienation, this separation, this isolation, this being pushed far away. And again, part of that is what we're feeling in the in the in the scenario that we're all living through right now, this sense of separation, this sense of being, uh, being apart, this sense of not being connected. And if you don't have Christ, it's especially, um, especially powerful. 
But he goes on verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there's a five-fold alienation. They were without Christ. They were without citizenship, without covenants, without hope. And ultimately, because of all that, they were without God. So I just want to tackle a couple of these. What does it mean to be without Christ as a Gentile? Christ meant Messiah in the original language. It literally means the anointed one, the promised one who would come and save and rescue. And the Gentile world had no messianic hope. So just think about that for a second. There was no hope of a Savior. And in our world today, right now, that's some of what people are feeling. They're, they're so afraid. We're afraid of, of what might happen economically. We're afraid of, that we might get sick and, 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 and be disabled, or worse, that we may die, or that our loved ones might get sick and die, and then, and then there's loss, and then there's separation, and, then, and there's this hopelessness that rises up, especially if you don't know Christ. So the Gentile world had no messianic hope. There was no one coming to save them. And that's a frightening thing. It goes on and talks about being without citizenship. Uh, the Scripture says this way, they were aliens excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. See, Israel was a theocracy. That means that they were ruled by God. In other words, there was a connection between the nation of, of Israel and, and God, and He would speak through the prophets, and they would hear His voice, and they would know what to do. And so he's saying about the Gentiles that they had no theocracy, they had no God rule, that ultimately they were on their own. And if you notice when you study Scripture, even the, even the Israelites said at one point, um, we, we want a king like everybody else. We want a king we can see. Even though he may be less, we, we, we want something we can see. And so they rejected God and they chose a king and, and, or wanted a king. And, and the king that came um, obviously was not the best king in Saul. And, uh, and they regretted it many, many times over uh, through the history of, of Israel. But they were a nation of God's people. They, they were loved by God. They were led. They were ruled by God. And the Gentiles had no hope in that. It goes on and talks about without covenants. And so we talked about that a lot at DCF, about the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And there are several covenants made. Um, one primarily we talk about the covenant that was made with Abraham. And, and there was a promise. And he said in Abraham, he said, In your seed, um, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so you saw prosperity. The nation of Israel went through prosperity. It didn't say seeds. It said seed. And so this is a reference to, to Christ. Um, but he, he was trying to speak something to the Jewish people in the sense that, that they were given a covenant because they were meant to be, to be blessed. And because of the blessing that was on them, they were meant to bless other people. And they forgot that. They forgot that the seed of Abraham was not just going to bless Israel because Christ did come and He did be, He was the Messiah of Israel. But He was designed, He was uh, appointed, He was anointed to be the Messiah of the whole world. And they forgot that. But the Gentiles were without those covenants and they didn't know. They were without hope is what it says next. So think about when you first became a Christian. Did you have any hope beyond the grave? I remember for me, I remember uh, someone passed away that was close to me, and I remember going to the funeral and, and touching their body, and their body was cold. And, and I just remember that, that it, was, it was something that, that, that captured me. And I, and I remember thinking, they're, they're not here any longer. But, that, but death terrified me. I didn't know what was on the other side of that. So it, I, was, I was literally without hope. How about you? Were you terrified? Do you remember what it was like? 
to be without hope in the world. And so today, in the world that we live in, everyone, for lack of a better term, has been to a funeral. There's trauma that's occurred literally worldwide. And people for the first time are seeing things. They're pulling their head out of the sand like the ostriches and they're looking around and they're seeing the world accurately. And people are genuinely frightened. Many of us are frightened. For, for people who don't know Christ, death for them has not been swallowed up in victory. It haunts them. It terrifies them. But for believers, that shouldn't be so. He is our victory over death is what Scripture says. We as Christians have a hope that is beyond the grave. What better hope can there be? Every other hope is limited at best by this world. Maybe you hope for money, and many people have tried, they've gone after this, uh, and, and they've lost their jobs, and, and, and they've lost, if they, their money was in the stock market, they've lost so much of what they've invested. And so every hope is limited. Hope for money, success, love, material things, even hope for pleasure. All of those hopes end with the grave. But there's a hope that a believer has that's beyond the grave. And lastly, he talks about being without God. And so this is really interesting. Ephesus, in Ephesus, who the people that Paul was writing to, they worshipped the goddess Diana. There was a massive temple. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. The Greeks called their, that god Artemis, but there was a statue there, and they would go in and they would worship and they would bring offerings and they would go through the motions, but God did not live in the temple. It was just what the Bible calls a vain idol. So the pagan world had religion, but they had no God. They had an outward expression. They had rituals. They did things, but none of those things brought hope and none of those things brought God. So why do Christians, this, I get this question a lot as a pastor, why do Christians try to convert people from other religions? I mean, aren't all religions the same? And wouldn't it be lovely if that were true? Wouldn't it be lovely if just imagine there is no heaven, there is no hell? Wouldn't that be nice? Except it's not what Scripture reveals to us. It's just not true. There's no hope. There's no Messiah. There's no covenant. There's no nation that, that, that people belong to because they're not connected to the God who provides all those things. What's really interesting is even the Jews had outward rituals, but often there was no inward change. And eventually, even the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And the Shekinah glory, what the Bible called the holy, the Shekinah glory of God, the weightiness of God that would reside inside the holy of holies in the temple, that even went away. It departed because the temple was torn down. But God has said that we, you and I as believers, as Christians, we are the temple of God. And in Him, in us, in this temple, Jesus dwells by His Spirit. There's something powerful in realizing that we are the temple. So I just want to wrap it up with that with this. We remember that these guys were without Christ. They had no citizenship. There was no covenant. There was no hope because they had no God. This is what the Gentiles were before they came to Christ. This is what you and I were before we came to Christ. Let me read this scripture. Let's get ready to close. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this phrase because this is so powerful. And such were some of you, but... You were washed, but you were sanctified or set apart for holy things. 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. See, we were alienated. We were separated from God. We were isolated. We were hopeless. We were godless. And because of that, there was no peace in our life. Ephesians 2, 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, the first part of it says, For he himself, Christ, is our peace. John 16, verse 33 says it like this. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen to this in the Amplified Version. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Be undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Let me leave you as, I, as we get ready to close with this. Real peace is not found in the absence of conflict. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. He is our peace if we are in him. And I'm going to give you this last reminder before I pray that all of us were outside. This reminder regarding those who were outside, talking about the people who don't know Christ. But we recognize this happened to us, but what about the people who are there now? Scripture says that we have been called to bring them inside because we do have hope. We do have God. So it's easy if we're not careful to, to take advantage of that and withdraw and pull back and look at the world and, and some of the terror and some of the uncertainty and all of the things that are going on, the hopelessness that's happening, the fear that's rising up all around us. And, and the danger is we want to come into a monastery and celebrate with one another because we all do have peace and that's wonderful and we can do that. But we cannot forget that God's mission was that because he has reconciled us, he's called us to reconcile others. In the prodigal son story, the older brother was given a double portion of the inheritance. This was true. And in that passage, what Jesus was trying to say is that the older brother who did not know his father because he was speaking to the Pharisees, they were the older brother. But he was saying in, in the sense that he was the older brother, that he was given a double portion. And because of that, he came and he sought after his younger brothers to save them, to rescue them from the brokenness that they were in. The older brother in that story was supposed, because he was given so much more, was supposed to go and retrieve his younger brother. And in his own selfishness, his own arrogance, he stayed there. And even in that place, he became bitter and angry because even he did not know his father. He, was having, he had outward rituals but had no intimacy with the father that loved him. Jesus was our older brother. The question for us today is whose older brother will we be? This is 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave you and I a ministry. Not just pastors, not just leaders. Everyone has been given this ministry if they've been reconciled. Verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, that he already did that. 
It's not something that needs to be done. It's already been accomplished. The means for salvation, the means for hope, the means for knowing God has already been accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross. He goes on, he says, not counting people's sins against them because of what Jesus did. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There must be a motivation in you and I in this whole scenario. Thank God he's taking care of, we heard the, ter- the testimonies. Thank God he's taking care of us. Thank God that we have a family, that we are connected. We have love for one another that is deeper than anything I've ever experienced in any other place. But there's a call to all of us to reach out to those who don't know Christ. It is a call for you and I, because we have been reconciled, to settle that in our our hearts. And where God comes and he commands us, he challenges us and he says, don't fear. Stop doing that. The only reason we talked about this imperatives and and, and, and indicatives, the only way that we can stop fearing is to know what God has already done for us. The only way we can have hope, the only way we can have peace is to know what God has done for us already. But because of what he's done, the Lord challenges us. He challenges us and he says, be at peace. Do not fear. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I've deprived of its power to hurt you. Now you and I, with that peace, can take that peace into a world that's broken and hurting, a a world that's terrified, and they're not going to do it right. They are going to be unbelievers. They're going to do sinful things. That's true. But in this process, God has called you and I to minister peace, not just to ourselves and what Scripture says about how you and I are to be at peace, but to be the messengers of peace to a broken and a hurting world. And so I just want to pray, pray for us that we would take this opportunity as we move forward to, to recognize the great peace and the great love and, and, and the, the courage that God has placed inside of us because of, of who we have received in Christ. And to remember that there's a calling upon every single one of us to lean out, not to, not to, to look down upon people, not to look at Gentiles, look at people who don't know Christ as the enemy because we often are, are taught to do that through politics and religion. But Jesus never did that. His heart was always for the broken. Even the Pharisees who were arrogant. He still challenged them because he loved them. And I want to challenge us to do the same. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for the peace that's been made available in Christ. It is ours for the taking. Lord, it's something we must lean into. We must focus. And we must give our attention to and give our energy to and recognize it. Lord, that's what you called us to do. You said strive to enter rest. In other words, that there's a rest available to us. And the problem isn't that it's not available. The problem is so often we are distracted by the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the lies of the enemy and everything that's happening in an outward place. But Lord, you've caused us internally, Lord, to be at peace. And because of that, that pressure emanates from us and pushes peace out into the world. Lord, let that occur. Let our hearts be settled. Let our hearts be be completely settled in your peace, Lord, so much so that there's an abundance of peace that flows not just into us, Lord, but it would flow out of us into the lives of other people. God, you have called us to go out. You have called us to be reconciled and then to take that ministry of reconciliation 
to people who have no hope because they have no God. But God, you are good and your kindness is everlasting and your mercy upon us is amazing and you've called us to pour out that mercy and that everlasting kindness that comes from you into people who do not know you. Lord, let many people come to Christ in this season. Let many people, Lord, allow the distractions to be lifted away and taken away, Lord, and for the first time, maybe they see eternity and they're willing to listen, willing to give attention to the things that really matter. Lord, in that moment, in those moments, I pray that we would be ready to minister peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, I just want to tell y'all that um, just as Dave was kind of wrapping up, I was thinking about these covenants of um, just what the Lord has done and how his story for humanity has been woven um, in time and it's been woven outside of time and it's been woven through the story of Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I love this scripture, it's in Isaiah and it says this, it's Isaiah 28, 16. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. He who believes, trusts in, relies on, and adheres to that stone will not be ashamed or give way or hasten away in sudden panic. Can I tell you this morning that in Christ, he is a sure, solid cornerstone. He is a cornerstone of your peace. He is a cornerstone that is immovable. It is a cornerstone for which everything in our lives in this season can be built from. And so this morning for you, I just want to encourage you, that rock hasn't moved God's heart for you has not shifted or changed at all in any of this. And so we just want to tell you guys, we love you so much. We care so deeply for you. Um, I, I just want to, I saw some people that were on our uh, Facebook live, Laura Hollingsworth, those of you that have been with us for 10 years, well, Laura has been with us for probably about 25, 25 plus years. Um, we've known her since she was a teenager um, when we lived out in Tyler, Texas. So I'm just so Thankful to see that she was on there. We got to see Mason, Ashley, so many of y'all and our home folks, you know, Alan and Minta, Bonnie and Keith, you know, Ed and Chris, just, you know, lots of y'all. And we just want you to know that, oh my gosh, we love you. I miss y'all so much. Just want to encourage you um, in this time where it feels like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that are out of my control, you know, or I can't, you know, I can't do all the normal things that I was doing. You know, I read a great post yesterday that, you know, we all have this urgency to kind of feel like, man, I can't wait till things get back to normal, you know, and I would encourage you to kind of think about what had your normal become before this, and what of that normal do you want to actually leave behind going into the new normal? Is it maybe you're taking away with, man, I've spent time with my family, I've spent time with my kids, I've found ways to connect with neighbors, walking in my neighborhood, praying for my neighbors, 
You know, what are some of those things that are the takeaways? You know, there's some things when we have circumstances like that, uh, like this that we're in right now, that we find ourselves going, you know, there's some things that I want to get in this season that I want to add to my backpack and I want to take them with me into the other side of what this looks like. But I also know there's some things that probably were in our backpack that we need to take out and we need to just leave them. And so this morning, the Lord loves you so much. And I love how gentle and kind he is with us in his um, whispering to us. I love the Lord doesn't have to shout to us. You know, I, I know when um, Dave and I are talking, sometimes it's just a look, you know, or it's like I can pick up what he's saying or pick up what his meaning is just by a look. Sometimes they're like, you know, the looks, but, you know, what we call it. It's like, oh, you're giving me the small eyes. But, you know, we know what those looks are. And can I tell you, the Lord never turns his face away from you. The moment that Jesus brought you into a covenant and you believed in him, the Father's face is never turned away from you because Jesus restored you to a good father. And so this morning, let's hear his whispers Let's lean into his little nudges. Let's lean into his little quiet voice that when he says something to us, you know, when we're finding our place, hearing those nudges, hearing those whispers, let's give in to him. Let's, let's, let's be um, listening and hearing what he wants to say. I believe for us and across the body, across our city, I believe that there are people having dreams they're having visions about where we are, you know, what's happening. And I just want to encourage y'all, if you haven't got a journal, get a journal. Write down what are you praying for? What are the things that the Lord's answering for you in this season? You know, if you don't have a journal, grab a notebook. A dollar from, you know, maybe you have, don't, I'm not promoting going to the dollar store. Maybe you have a little, you know, a little, you know, one, one, what is it, a one notebook thing. You know, or if you don't have that, go grab some paper off the copier, staple them together and just start writing. What's the Lord doing and saying and how's he dialoguing? Because the goal is to dialogue and to hear and to pour out our hearts to the Lord in this season. I love that David always poured out his heart to the Lord and we can find through the Psalms whatever season of life we find ourselves in, whether that we need to be delivered from an enemy that you know, we've been surrounded, you know, or what's going on. It's like, Lord, I just want to keep my eyes on you. I want to see what you're doing. I trust you. Those kind of things, wherever we find ourselves of wanting to pour out our hearts in worship, you know, Dave, David got those. He got it, you know, and it's in the Psalms. So you can always pour out your heart to the Lord, but we will not be a people who rage against God. We won't be a people that um, just a credit to him things that are not him. It's not his nature and not his character. So this morning we're praying for you guys. We hope you have a, a, a blessed week. Know that you're be deeply loved, that um, you are the beloveds. And you know what? Just remember, everywhere you go, he's with you. Everything you face this week, he's with you. I love that he said, I will never, ever, 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 ever release my grip on you. I will always keep you held safe. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And he will not lie. He cannot lie. And so we love you guys. We look forward to being together some more and some creative ways of just connecting. And uh, we look forward to our time with y'all all the time. 
already have in my head kind of thinking from our second week I'm like oh I'm like I feel like we need to kind of make some space for that kind of like when we're all together so so just know that I feel like every week we'll probably evolve and have something a little bit more a little bit different so um, we love y'all so much and we look forward to seeing you again soon